When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? You're not interested in art? No. Now look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. From Chicago, this is Film Spotting. I'm Adam Kempinar. When I started writing Bad Batch, the first image that came to mind for me was a girl in the middle of a hot desert, missing an arm and a leg, bleeding, and just... <laughs> but surviving. Yeah. And alive. Josh is still away overseas, or maybe he's appearing on another podcast promoting his book. I don't know. I do know I made the executive decision to skip talking about Transformers the last night. I'm sorry. Instead, a couple of interviews. My conversation with actor and comedian Kumail Nanjiani, co-writer and star of the indie romantic comedy The Big Sick, will come later in the week. On this show... It's Anna Lily Amarpour, the writer-director of 2014's A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, and now The Bad Batch. Set in Iran but shot in Southern California, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is a stylish black-and-white genre mashup that Amarpour has described as an Iranian vampire spaghetti western. In it, a lonely, chador-clad young woman encounters pimps, prostitutes, and other troubled denizens of Bad City, occasionally killing them and drinking their blood, but sometimes just hanging out and listening to music. Girl debuted at Sundance in 2014 and went on to be one of the best-reviewed films of the year. I recall many film-spotting listeners writing in suggesting it should have been a Golden Brick nominee that year, and now having finally caught up with it, I can see why. For her follow-up, Amarpour keeps the Sergio Leone-inspired violence and bloodshed but loses the black and white in the Iranian setting in favor of vivid, sand and sun-soaked Texas. The movie's also got cannibals instead of vampires, and a protagonist who starts the picture getting a leg and an arm cut off. She's played by Suki Waterhouse. The success of her earlier film has also helped her land some A-list talent, including Jim Carrey, Jason Momoa, Aquaman, and the upcoming Justice League, and Keanu Reeves as a loquacious cult leader who goes by The Dream. Let's hear some of the trailer. All of us here, we weren't good enough, smart enough, Young enough. All the things you've done have put you right here with me. This here is the bad batch. Amarpour was a lot of fun to talk to, someone who clearly adores not just making movies, but everything about movies, and retains an enthusiasm for the film she first fell in love with, including, as you'll hear, much of the early work of Bad Batch's own Reeves. She also has some great answers to the film Spotting Five, our rapid-fire Q&A at the end of the interview. Also, I know some of you out there like to listen to the show with kids around, earmuffs warning that she does use some colorful language during the interview, which we have not edited for the podcast. I spoke with her at Chicago's Music Box Theater and started by asking about the word that's part of her debut film setting and her sophomore film's title. Both movies are full of people doing bad things, but some worse than others. Is this concept of badness, certain actions defining who you are, then being branded that way by society, by yourself, something she wants to explore? I think that very much is something to explore. And I also think you can kind of like 
go a little farther with what that question is, which is like, what is a good or a bad action? Mm -hmm. How do you define morality? And that's a simple sounding question that doesn't have a simple answer. And it's a question that you just constantly have to ask. And there's a level of relativity, I think, to us and what's good and bad, meaning you can estimate a certain person or a certain behavior a certain way until you put it next to something else. Mm -hmm. In Girl Walks Home at Night, she's this, she's killing people. Mm -hmm. But as long as they're bad, people don't seem to mind that. No, no, that is one of the more provocative questions that comes up from that film, for sure. And I think with the the central couples, and there is, I think it's fair to say, a central couple in each film, maybe not in the traditional Hollywood sense. I, I'm not sure it's forgiveness so much as the word, but but there is a notion of reconciliation. And I don't want to spoil anything, obviously, for people who haven't seen the films yet. But this idea of people accepting the badness within themselves, maybe, and within others and moving on as opposed to what the Hollywood version of that would be, which is where everybody just really does change and become better people. Or that like only bad people do bad things and that that's even possible to like simplify, you know, your villains are just like, they're villains, mm -hmm. they're bad. I, again, I don't feel that way. I feel like, because I feel like I do that. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like we're all Arland walking around having like been mortally wounded by life it's like an extreme metaphor for what it is to go through pain and go through trauma. Uh -huh. It doesn't have to be that you actually lost an arm or a leg. You know, it's like life physically maims us, emotionally yeah. maims us. And then we are all hobbling around missing parts of our former selves. Right. And we have to like get acquainted with our current and future selves. Mm -hmm. It's deep. It is. I, I feel like, <laughs> I like it, it definitely like, is. Yeah. Yeah. As I as I I watch both films, I think it does provoke a lot of of profound questions. And I think amidst that, I did want to ask you about the fact that both of these movies, but especially The Bad Batch, I think it's fair to say, can be hard to watch a little bit. But it occurred to me, I thought that because it was mostly my imagination more than anything, where I would start to anticipate things that were going to happen to Arlen, and that Tell made me, me what? I'm well, so curious. well, very early on, of course, when we anticipate what what she's being prepped for. I don't know what's going to happen to her. Eventually, we do see that it's the arm and the leg, but I realize that you don't show as much of that as the viewer might actually think having sat through it. If you reflect back on it, you realize that we didn't see all that much graphically, but our imagination really kind of kind of carries the day. So yeah. was that something you were aware of and wanting to to be to be direct uh, and and to be graphic in a way, but also recognize that you didn't have to push that too far? I am, and very aware of it. I think there's two interesting things uh, to mention about that. One is, is that when you make the film and craft and create this violent scene or any scene, really, mm -hmm. but you never really get the experience of your own film. Like when I watch, for example, one of, I think like the awesomest scenes that personified like a violent act that really affected me and was like, totally radical was the ear cutting off scene in, in Reservoir Dogs. Sure. And it's all the tension leading up to it because he doesn't d do the thing for a long time. He puts on the song and it's just like, uh, and yeah. then it's, and then the camera shifts. Exactly. So it is all, you're right. It's in you and me, but I was aware of that's a brutal thing that happens to her. Mm -hmm. And I really feel that like violence is so 
ubiquitous in everything right now, in every TV show and definitely in the movies. It's like buildings exploding and all this shit in a way that feels numbing, like you don't process it. Yeah. And it was very important for me just for the whole like overarching allegorical like experience, like the Alice in Wonderland experience of being this girl and going through this to the end Mm -hmm. that you felt that you went through that. Yeah, and yet, as bleak as... But I was surprised when people yeah. walked out, like, from being disturbed by the violence in really? certain screenings. Hmm. I really, I was like, oh, really? I think <laughs> it's probably a testament to your direction that we do feel like we are really going through that experience. Yeah. And, and that's kind I of awful what that, to <laughs> yes, contemplate. It is, it is. So and I think there's a it. lot of awful realities about some of these characters, some of the things they do. I don't want to like say anything about what well, girl walks home alone at night was a different kind of story mm-hmm. and it gave it let you off the hook I think of some of the bad stuff because of how people judge the pimp or think of certain people mm-hmm. so that like they're okay with whatever is mm-hmm. happening. I think in this it's like everybody's kind of showing some awful heinous stuff. They are, but what I appreciate about both films is that even with all that that awful behavior and some of those actions, that each movie, maybe more than once, but for me at least once in each film, we see these great moments of compassion. And I was watching Girl Walks Home recently, and it's the moment for me where Arash, it's his first meeting, I think, with the girl on the street. And he he just surprisingly throws his coat around her, and we see her reaction to that. And there's something so touching about that. And I won't give away the moment in The Bad Batch, but there's another moment like that where just as I was thinking, man, are we going to get any relief here? We finally get it. How important is it to you to show those types of of moments of of true human tenderness? Yeah, true is the important word because I do feel like there's a throwaway level of what a real connection is between people and affection and kindness and, and it like to me hits the spot when it's amidst all of this madness in a way. Mm-hmm. So like it it becomes this thing that makes sense. It becomes that unexplainable magic. And like, in my experience of life, personally, that's how it is. It's not something you get every day. It's like the world is full of chaos and confusion constantly. And then there's these things, someone hugging you or like someone just understanding you, whatever it is. I wanted to ask you about the the look of this film compared to obviously Girl Walks Home. The black and white was so striking and it really emphasized the sort of isolation and the sense of alienation, loneliness of those characters. And then here we have exactly the opposite in terms of that bright, hot sun, but we get largely the same effect of, of isolation and and everyone being alone so i'm curious i guess how much fun it was for you if fun is the right word coming off of girl walks home shooting in that black and white to then have this whole palette of colors to work with yeah it's so weird because i fall into my own universe of that that story and world and it's so real for me in my mind so when i was making girl and i was thinking in black and white i knew right away i'm not even a fan really honestly like I'm not like a black and white film person. I just, when I thought of her and her chador and this striped shirt, it was just like had to be black and white. Hmm. And Rumblefish was a black and white film that had that feeling like of a pulp, surreal kind of fairy tale. And so 
I was into that. And I was thinking mm-hmm. that way. When I started writing Bad Batch, the first image that came to mind for me was a girl in the middle of a hot desert, missing an arm and a leg, bleeding, and just... <laughs> but surviving. Yeah. And alive. And was going to go on. So it was like desert, everything. It was like this hot, searing, saturated... Brown, blue, yeah. like, yeah. Beautiful in a way, but oppressive yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about one of the, the scenes before that happens to her as she's just gotten out in the desert and kind of how you visually construct a scene. Because I love some of your storytelling techniques where, for example, she has been out of the place that's released her, the, the prison, I suppose, and she is walking along. She comes across a car and she rests in it for a little while. And then we see her, we notice first that there are, two people approaching in a golf cart and then we cut to her looking in the noticing them looking in the rearview mirror the next shot isn't sort of well first of all i thought well maybe she's just going to wait for them and see okay are they friendly are they hostile what's going to happen here but not only do we not get that we don't even see her sort of make the decision the next shot is you cut to them catching up on her and she's already taken off and is in full you know sprint trying to get away so it just instantly heightens the sense of of danger that we know she is in deep trouble we don't know what's even going on but we know it's really bad and and we know that she understands that and like i said i think it really heightens the intensity was that something you you planned out in the construction and the storyboarding of that or one of those moments that comes out in the editing both yeah both there was actually a few other things that happened between the moment of their approaching and her um, running away. But then when I was editing, that kind of became this like defining bookend for what that opening was going to be. And because of that, I kind of compressed things. So yeah. then this is like your little prologue, but it's actually a pro prologue because I feel like that whole opening up until five months later is like a little... Mm-hmm. Here yeah. you go. Yeah. Here's who you are yeah. in 15 minutes. It, it seems so obvious as a, as a filmmaker. Of course, you're always going to approach a story visually. You're telling a story with a camera. But I think really with you, that stands out in contrast to a lot of films that we are used to seeing where you're truly telling the story with the camera as opposed to a lot of dialogue. And is that something as a director you always knew you wanted to, you always wanted to make those kind of films? Or did it just, is it something that is appropriate for this material and it's something that could change as you change as a filmmaker i think it could change and i think it depends i think it's a combination of things too like if you're 30 percent hard of hearing and we're born that way you don't catch a lot of like extra jibber jabber and if you don't then you can't follow sometimes the whole conversation if you so like i've always kind of shut off and gone into my own world and then also then you if you can't follow something, then you're just looking at what's there visually. These things, hmm. the sound, and the red right. color, and the light hitting you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's that. There's also like, I do love, like, I grew up watching westerns and action movies with my dad. Everything from Sir Giuliani films, Dirty Harry cop films, Die Hard. Like, I just like that stuff. I like action movies. Mm-hmm. I like kinetic, physical adrenaline movies Mm -hmm. i also did go through a very immersive and intense horror movie phase from like age nine to 15 okay i do not watch horror films now i just have to say that because i think people think maybe i would or do i think i'm into like 
weird, surreal kind of filmmakers that mix up genres. Mm-hmm. Like to me, Darren Aronofsky, for example, it's like there's intense and sometimes brutally violent things in his films, but that it's not a horror film. No. In that conventional kind of, I don't watch like straight horror. Gotcha. But I not anymore anyway. From age nine, I don't think my parents knew either because they're like, you know, Iranian. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what everything was that I was asking to see. Okay. I was watching some. So you took advantage of that brutal shit. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know that I ever got that far, but my parents similarly let me just sort of watch whatever I wanted. Like I had HBO in my room when I was a young kid. So yeah, I watched a ton of stuff that amazing. I never should have watched, but those are the movies that, that, means that you helped were make me into... That watching all the violence yeah. stuff and all the, like, sex stuff. I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, in junior high, totally. yes. Totally, yeah. yeah. That, that stood Good out. Good for you, man. Why, how did we get on the horror? Like, what was the... Just talking about the use of the camera, really, more than anything. Oh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's just all... The thing that I... One of the things that I liked as a kid that was my favorite movies... And it is like, I loved The NeverEnding Story, for example. Mm-hmm. And the most overwhelming thing about NeverEnding Story is these worlds. The swamp of... Sa- You've seen The NeverEnding Story. You have not. I just want to keep nodding. Oh. But I have not. I actually have not. Somehow, despite that movie being on constantly when I was younger, I never watched the whole film. You should I don't watch know why. it. You should watch yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's, what it's about is pretty psychedelic. But it's like the world. Even Back to the Future, it's like yeah. you want to go, you're like this guy and he's going to go and see what 1954 is like. You know, like you mm-hmm. want to like watch, I don't know, like even like The Golden Child. Like, did you see The Golden I Child? I did see The Golden I was a fan of that film. I love that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. So funny. Me too. But yeah, so dialogue, I mean, everybody's different. Yeah. Woody Allen's like awesome with words. And so he likes having people talking all the time. Right. Tarantino too he's mm-hmm. like awesome with words and no that, that definitely makes sense and, and I, I like words though it's funny because the dream was this interesting character to write and do like talk so much yeah and honestly there was so much more and like with Keanu it would be like because it's this is character's gonna talk so much we would just like meet and have rehearsals over each version of it mm-hmm. and he would say all this stuff so, I mean, yeah, it was fun. It just depends, I guess. Okay. Well, so I have tons of other things I want to ask you, but we're running out of time, and this, no. this interview is going to air, <laughs> I think, the week before we do a top five list on our show, which is going to be our top five Keanu Reeves scenes. Yeah. Looking over his whole filmography. Come so, on, hands down. So Come on. I have to ask first, can you just give us what your favorite moment was, maybe working with him on the set, or favorite scene that you shot with him, and then being as you are such an avid film buff, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody, any director who's ever referenced more films than you, which I love, of course, and appreciate. (laughs) Do you have a favorite Keanu Reeves performance or scene? It's hard for me to not have Point Break, Johnny Utah, just, like, come into my mind. Like, that Keanu is, like, swept me off my feet. Both of them. Both of them. Bodie, Patrick Swayze, and Keanu... Um, in that speed also was one that like really I love him in the devil's advocate so much Hmm. Um, I love Keanu as the doctor in Nancy Myers something's gotta give you're Mrs. Sanborn no oh no no I'm just 
No, I'm Erica Berry. He was having dinner at our house. I just met him this afternoon. You're Erica Berry? Yes. The playwright? Yes. What a pleasure. I'm a huge fan. Really? Huge fan. So awesome. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he's pretty much awesome all the time. He's always awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, John Wick, too, kicking yeah. ass, like, amazing. But, like, we're talking about, because, you know, when I was, like, 12 years old, I had his poster on my wall. And James <laughs> Dean. Uh-huh. Which is, like, explains something about my first film. And then explain something. Sure. Like Some yeah. deep, like your deep <laughs> fetish loves, you know? They don't go away. What's your favorite Keanu? Like the first one that pops in your mind <sighs> when you think of him. Come on, come on. That's too long. Uh, it's, the I, I think I'm, I'm biased because you said mine. it point break. But no, but, but, on, but that was. I mean, that was the, the one I discovered him, just like most of the world, it I is. think. It's right? It's so good. When he when the rain at the end. <sighs> Yeah, I'm an FBI agent. agent yeah. He's so oh good. Oh, God, so good. <laughs> so I have to close with this. We do a little Q&A uh, here on the show, the Film Spotting Five. I don't know if you got prepped for this or not, but that's fine. It's better if you weren't prepped at all. So just give us the last movie you saw in the theater. The last movie I saw in the theater. What was the last movie I saw in the theater? Um, because I am hard of hearing, I tend to wait for closed captioning like wait for it to come on my home system mm -hmm. is like I have five <laughs> points around and yeah. like an OLED so it's like a theater but I do like to go to the theater but I have to get this this little reading box thing mm -hmm. if there's a lot of talking so like I hadn't seen Wonder Woman and but the last movie I saw it was a foreign film and those have subtitles yes, so they're great that, for me it that was works. um about cats in Turkey called Keddie. Oh uh, yeah I'm familiar oh, with it but I haven't seen God, it yet yeah you liked it what a fucking really? crowd pleaser those well, cats. Who doesn't love cats? Exactly. <laughs> so amazing. Yeah. What about a movie? Yeah, you revisited recently. Something you saw years ago and Predator. Really? Oh my god, it's perfect. <laughs> so it, my co-host is someone John who actually McTiernan. he believes that the Predators remake is actually better than the original Predators, and and Please. that was the reaction I was hoping for. So Please. thank you. <laughs> that Arnold Schwarzenegger. John McTiernan yeah. combo and how it's shot and the monster and the effects of yeah. like how he camouflage and the oh my god I know it's so it's good. good I love Predator yeah. an underrated movie new or old just something a lot of people maybe underrated. don't appreciate enough easy answer okay this movie is like it's that where you know that feeling you had when you were like a kid or younger and you saw a movie and it like was like the movie was like a hero it it was so fun and good. It was like, I don't know, I remember like romancing the stone when you were a kid or, yeah. or like die hard, whatever, like, but in its heyday. Mm -hmm. Like what has been that awesome? Because I feel like, and I'm excited to see Wonder Woman and I'm sure it's great, but I feel like all of the newer big adventure movies take themselves very seriously. True. And there isn't that fun that uh -huh. it used to be. This movie is next level. It's a Korean film. So, it's called Train to Busan. Okay, not familiar with it. There Great. are zombies in it, but it is an epic action survival movie and very funny. And I am telling you, you are. I'm so happy I haven't seen it. Watch it. Watch it before the never-ending story. Watch it like and be like, yeah. I'm about to. Yeah, I can't have, wait. Yeah. This was this Q and A was worth it just to get that response. Train two more, yeah. two more quick ones. A random movie you love. Just what comes to mind? A movie you love. You've said so many movie already. I love, yeah. And you say love, and I just happened to see it, and this is also underrated. But 
Love by Gaspar Noé. Mm. It's a 3D relationship drama with tons of like explicit sex scenes, right. real sex. But you have to see it in 3D. Okay. So like I saw it in the theater in 3D and then I bought it and I have 3D glasses and I can do 3D. So I recently watched it just last week again in 3D in my home. And it is a fucking masterpiece. I love that movie. But it is not the same movie if you watch it in 2D. Really? I would recommend do not watch it in 2D. Okay. It's funny because the last director I did this Q&A with was Trey Edward Schultz, the director of Cretia, and It Comes at Night coming out. uh And he mentioned his underrated movie was Irreversible. So maybe I just have to start asking, what's your favorite Gaspar Noé film? Because (laughs) it's going to come up every time. I think he, Gaspar, in general, is underrated. Yeah. Yeah. So last one. Favorite book about the movies or movie making? Do you have a book that you that you value the most? Yeah. A book about cinema. Okay. You got it here? Yeah. This book is not directly about cinema in like an on the nose way. Mm -hmm. It's Bruce Lee's striking thoughts and it's a collection of his philosophies. He studied philosophy and religion at Berkeley and so he was like a great great thinker and um, absorbed all these ideas Mm -hmm. and useful kind of approaches from many, many places. And I mean, everybody like knows, even if you don't know how special Bruce Lee is, like, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you read this book and it's very easy to read, it's like little bits, you can put it on the toilet. It's great to just read one thing or two and you will then deeply understand why he was so special. And it just teaches you how to be an artist at life. Well, you've sold me on that as well. So this has been enlightening for me. Thank you so much for your time. It's a lot of fun. Wish you the best of luck with the film. Thank you. And hopefully we can talk sometime down the road. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Here's the thing. Being good or bad... Mostly depends on who you're standing next to. My thanks again to Anna Lily Amarpour for that conversation, and thanks for the Elvis-style ending there. The Bad Batch is out in limited release this weekend. If you see it, let us know what you think. Feedback at filmspotting.net. Just a quick note that the top five Keanu Reeves scenes I teased at the end of that interview, it's sadly been put off for now. We were planning that one for next week when Josh will be joined by Keanu superfan, Chicago critic Angelica Jade Bastien. We hope to get to that one at a later date here on the show. Next week, Josh and Angelica instead will share their top five Sofia Coppola scenes. If you've got one you don't want them to miss, we might just share that on the show. You can email us, feedback at filmspotting.net, or send us an MP3 file. To that same email, you can also send us a voicemail, 312-264-0744. Later this week, my talk with Kumail Nanjiani, an actor and comedian perhaps best known for his role on HBO's Silicon Valley. He will soon be known to many more as the star and co-writer of The Big Sick, the wonderful romantic comedy that is opening in limited release this weekend and is expanding to more screens, including Chicago, on June 30th. It was produced by Judd Apatow, and along with Kumail, it stars Zoe Kazan, Holly Hunter, and Ray Romano. Kumail, you may recall from an earlier episode this year, also went to my alma mater. So you can expect 
a bit of talk like this. Yeah, I mean, the very general, if we're going to stereotype, we're going to say that the hippies were South Campus yeah. and the jocks were North Campus. Yes. That interview with Kumail available on Friday. We also got him to participate in the film Spotting Five, and he shared his top five most influential films. As always, you can find our complete list of top fives over at filmspotting.net slash top five list, and you can find all of our interviews at filmspotting.net slash interviews. Film Spotting is produced by Golden Joe Dassault and Sam Van Halgren. Without Sam and Golden Joe, the show wouldn't go. Our production assistant is Jeremy Wellhausen. Thanks to Candace Griffiths and the listeners of the Film Spotting Advisory Board, and special thanks to everyone at WBEZ Chicago. More information is available at WBEZ.org. For Film Spotting, I'm Adam Kempinar. Thanks for listening. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Film Spotting is listener supported. Join the Film Spotting family at filmspottingfamily.com and get access to ad-free episodes, monthly bonus shows, our weekly newsletter, and for the first time, all in one place, the entire Film Spotting archive going back to 2005. That's at filmspottingfamily.com.